Well, good morning, Community Church. Why don't we stand to our feet? Are we ready to go deep with our King, with our Lord, with our Savior? Are we ready to put aside all those things that can take over our mind and hinder us? Because this is the right place to lay all that down and to get before the King. So, Father, this morning as we come into this house, we choose to say you are amazing, you are good, you are awesome. We choose to say we will lay everything down today and we will honor you, we will worship you, we will give you the praise that is due to your name. So, Father, we invite the Holy Spirit to be amongst us, to guide us and lead us, to navigate this service. And we pray today that you would speak to every heart in this building, that you would move inside them right now in five minutes, in ten minutes. And, Father, as we begin to pray, we pray that you would shift our community, you would shift our neighborhoods, that you would move in power in Jesus' name. Can we say amen to that? Come on, church. Let's get into the kingdom this morning. Let's worship him. There's a prophetic thing going on right now. Start asking God, how do I do that? It's not a matter of just getting on my knees. It's a lowering of the heart. There's a shift that God wants to do in our hearts today. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Release the grace for us to get low and to lift you high. There's something in the spirit here. You're going to realize later, this is an absolutely pristine prophetic moment. What is happening here echoes exactly a word that the Lord gave me early this morning. And you're going to see, and it's calling for a shift. It's calling for a deep It's not about a change of thought. It's much deeper than that. A shift of heart that taps in to the endless resources of God. Father, we say right now, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I lay down everything I thought I knew about walking in faith. Everything I thought I knew about believing you. And I say, God, take me into the abundance of your glory, your resources, your power. God is breaking our dependency upon discipline, our dependency upon the soul, our dependency upon our ability to suppress the unpalatable parts of our nature. This is not Christianity. Mere suppression of your thoughts of your emotions is not righteousness. God, shift. Lord, we declare today that you are good, that there is none like you. And we pray, Father, that we would be the church of this generation that says with all of our being, You are holy. You are good. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. Come on, let's say it together. Just say it in your own words. You are good. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You deserve all the praise. All the praise. 
Hallelujah. 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 There's a place that's lower than the floor, and it's called a grave. For many of us, it's like our funeral today. We're being lowered into a grave. And so we're going to pray that the clothes of Lazarus come on, but the grave leads to transfiguration. I'm seeing that the grave will lead to transfiguration. Just like Jesus stayed in the grave where all, this, all of the understanding, all of the senses are gone. You're dead. The soul is no longer. You're just dead. But I'm seeing in the spirit that the grave will lead to transfiguration just like Jesus. The other thing that I'm seeing is keyholes are being placed in doors at the very bottom of a door at the very bottom of the door when people kneel. The keyhole doesn't appear until we kneel and then the keyhole appears at the very bottom of the door. So your season is that the change of season is at the very bottom of the door. God will give you the key if, if we get low enough. Amen? As we were singing about getting lower and lower, um, I felt there's a lot of people here who uh, just feel like, why can't I get ahead? Why can't I? Why am I not propelled into the next, into the next realm? I could pe- saw people being put into like a slingshot, and the, the slingshot has to be pulled back and pulled back before it's released. And and what does the Bible say? The Bible says that it's that He exalts the humble, the ones who get low. He exa- He uh, the people that sit at the foot of the table, they're the ones that He He invites to the head of the table. And so, yeah, just, just continue. Just get lower, lower, lower. It's the ones, it's the ones that go into their closet and, and fast without um, showing it to other people. It's the ones those he exalts. So just keep getting lower and lower and lower in that way. We are on a journey. Heaven is longing to export its culture, its government, its administration. And at the center of all those things is heaven's worship. The worship of heaven must come to the earth. The centerpiece of heaven is the throne room of God. And all of heaven is focused on being there. Do you know what takes place there? It's him. It's all unto him. Thousands and thousands and tens of thousands ministered to him. Just ministered to him. I am longing for a time when we can go for hours just orienting around him without any, okay, you know, let's move on to something more interesting for me where we're so caught up in his glory that it just, you could feel that flow of worship and that's all you need. The regard, the love, the, the, the admonition of righteousness, the, everything just flows to him and that's enough. God is increasing our capacity to honor him, to glorify him. Can you say amen? amen? More about that later. Amen. So good to be back. I hear you guys enjoyed my, my friend uh, last week. How many of you enjoyed Barry Miracle? 
Okay, repeat after me. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that. Honestly, uh, a few weeks ago, we did a couple of events. Uh, one was, of course, the Battle for Canada, which was uh, uh, in Winnipeg. But we also did C2C, or uh, Voices Together, which was, which was a, a meeting for a few hours of worship and declarations that started in Newfoundland, went all the way through every province, Nunavut, to the West Coast, and there were bodies of people gathered. So we had gathered with a place in Winnipeg Christian Center, and it was just, it was packed full of people. And at one point, they had decided to do this, this declaration, which came up on the screen, across the country. So it was Newfoundland together with, you know, two locations in Ontario, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, all the way through. And we made these declarations from the words, and I'm not really a big, I don't do that a lot. But I tell you what, it was really powerful. It was, it, you know, the, the synergy of that collective agreement just kind of, you could feel it resonate in the air. It was amazing, really, really, really powerful. And so when Barry, last week, I watched the worship and, and I watched the, his message, you know, it is a message. It is a message, but it's very interactive because there's something about you speaking agreement. Like there's something significant that happens when you say what you believe. And uh, we've talked about that before, but you know, we, we, uh, we don't really realize that that collective agreement and that willingness to actually step out from behind the safety of silence. You know, silence is safety. Right? Because you're not going to make as many errors if you never say anything. But you know what? God loves the ones that are willing to make errors. God, God loves the ones, right, Di? Yeah. God loves the ones who are not knowing what to say, said. Right? That's, that was the description of Peter in the scripture. And Peter, not knowing what to say, said. I love that. So, so Peter got most of the correction, <laughs> right? And everybody who sat in silence didn't. Well, no, 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 you don't learn. Now, that's the thing. It's like we want to categorize our thoughts and our mind and get it all straight. But it's actually the, the only thing that becomes effective is what you say. Not what you assent to in the silence of your mind. The proof of the quality and the source of what you say is only realized when you say it. Uh, but that's, I, I, that's powerful. There's something there. I can't teach on that this morning, but there's something really powerful about that. You have to be willing to go out into the marketplace and say, I mean, even Jordan Peterson, from a philosophical standpoint, says, get out there, speak, hone your craft, learn to say it wrong, say it right, get better at saying it, because by sitting back in disagreement, you're not going to change the culture. And uh, of all people, that should be us. But, you know, well, I don't want to make anybody not like me. 
<laughs> well, they didn't like Jesus, so there's no safety in silence. Anyway, my goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So uh, I think we'll have Barry back sometime. We want to do some more things together, so we've been talking about this, and we'll see what kind of opportunities the Lord gives us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the truth that sets us free. Hmm. Lord, anoint your word, anoint the truth. Father, accomplish what you want to accomplish this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to get around to this word that the Lord's given me. But basically he said this this morning. I heard this quite clearly. Uh, glorify me. That's what I heard. Glorify me. And so I, I, I went to some scriptures, and you know, one of the ones I, I kind of fixated upon was 1 Corinthians 6, 20, I think it is. It says, glorify me in your body. And, uh, and so we're going to get into this, but I was delighted as the movement, and if you go back and watch the worship service in the context of that word, you realize that's what came up again and again and again and again. And not only that, but the deeper side of what I'm going to say, because the question obviously becomes, well, how do I glorify him? And we, we, wanted to, we tend to think, well, if I just, you know, say things like, Lord, glorify your name that that accomplishes the, uh, the mandate. Let me just say, it does not. That it has to come from a deeper and purer place, and that there is the essential challenge that we have. But in this day, God is moving us on a trajectory towards maturity, and he's essentially going to reveal in this generation and future generations, I don't know how many generations there are before he comes back. I'm, I'm hoping we're the last. But if we're not, there's going to be a better one coming out that will be built on the foundation of what we've chosen to embrace and, and walk in. And, uh, and God is going to have a people that will fully accomplish everything that's in his heart. And so that's, that's going to come. That's happening. It's, we're on our way towards that. And so today we want to say, we give you all the glory. So the Bible says, glorify God, give him glory. And, uh, and the question is, the, the unknown is, well, how do I do that? Because, Mark, you're very annoying. You keep raising the bar. You keep putting out impossible standards for us to meet. And let me tell you, this is what it's about. It's about embracing an impossible standard. Yeah. If, well, <laughs> I know that causes confusion for some. It's like, well, that dooms us to failure, doesn't it? That's the point. <laughs> That's the point. The knowledge of sin is given through the law, and the law describes what you, ex exactly what you could never do. The point of the law is to say to you, you can't do it. And unless you actually, from your heart of hearts, come to a full acknowledgement that you can't do it, you will always be under the law. Because the law is meant to accomplish something in your heart. There, we have mice walking around behind me. 
The law is meant to accomplish this. It's not, the, 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 the law cannot produce the righteousness of God. But what it does produce is in you a conviction that you can't do it. But here's the problem. Even if you say, I can't do it, there can still be a big part of your heart that says, I really can. And so what's happening is God in your journey is trying to show you where self-confidence occupies place in your heart where you don't know it does. And so he's got this perfect system that uh, causes us to come to that, that reality again and again and again. And so essentially, you know, again, I, I love this uh, this this paradigm of maturity because what he's trying to bring us to is he's trying to bring us to a very clear division of labor. He's trying to show us what comes from us and what comes from him. And of course, we have the theological truth that says, well, all good things come from above, except that we don't realize how much credit we take for the good things that come from above. We do it again and again and again. So God say, okay, all right, I'm going to deal with your hearts. I'm going to show you what's really coming from you. So I'm going to share a part of my testimony today. And it may be some of it you've heard before, but that's all right. But before I get into that, I want to share a couple of things. Because if we're going to allow the word of God to hold our feet to the fire, so to speak... If we're going to actually let him press that sword deep into our hearts, I want you to just begin to pray in the spirit right now. Father, I break the power of of an infiltrating spirit of infirmity. I just command right now, every spirit that does not bow to the name of Jesus Christ, I command that your power will be nullified in this room in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Uh, so where are we? So, so God is trying to get us to understand certain things. And one of them is this. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you know why it's important for you to believe that? Because if you don't believe that, you're going to excuse yourself. You're going to do something that does not overcome the world. But then you're going to say, but it was purely God. It just, in this case, didn't overcome the world. Well, that's a lie. Because whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. <laughs> Do you like that? I mean, this is the point. It's like we are, we are on a trial and error system, right? We're, we're getting to the place where, well, Lord, I'd like to love that person, but they're just too unlovable. And the Lord says, no. You just got to get a better version of love. I mean, you can live in that, you know, you can deflect if you want. You can live excusing yourself and justifying yourself. Say, well, that person is just too evil for me to love. Or you can get more love. And there's two types of Christians in the world. The ones that are deflecting and saying, you know, there's just too much wrong with that city. There's just too much wrong with that country. There's just too much wrong with that person, that church, that family member. Or you can say, God, give me what it takes to overcome whatever's wrong with them. 
I, I want to I make myself responsible to acquire the kind of overcoming glory that penetrates any darkness. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're leaning into. We're trying to get that. But we always have this out that we give ourselves. Well, I did as good as somebody could have expected to do, but it still didn't work. No, you didn't do it right. The question always comes down to who's the liar, you or God? And God's trying to lock us into this equation. So today, as we lean into this, we need to be locked into this equation that says, it says God is true. Let every man be a liar, let God be true. And that whatsoever, whatever's born of God overcomes the world. And so this is what the Lord did with me. He, he basically said this. He said, listen, Mark, if I can get you into an equation where it's just me and you and you're not blaming anybody else, then I can keep improving you. But as soon as you get to the place where you're blaming or outing yourself or dismissing your responsibility, I mean, you keep telling me, Mark, you want to change the world, but you won't let me change you. But the problem is I want to change you. If I can change you, then I can change your circumstances. And so we're on our way towards that. I can't say we're totally there, but we're on our way there. But at the end of the day, God is going to divide between good and evil in our hearts. Remember that scripture in Hebrews 4.12? The word of God presses to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So I want, to, I want us to do this today. I want us to just invite Holy Spirit. Invite the word of God to come in and separate between soul and spirit. So we just say today, Lord, in our own words, come and penetrate my heart with your sword. Lord, come and show me my true condition. Come and show me the source of my works. Come and show me the source and root of my strength. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, I've got so much scripture here, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that if I start reading it, we're all going to get bogged down and miss the forest for the abundance of the trees. And so we're going to see how we work this out. But, but the scripture talks about glorifying God. And I thought, well, what does it mean to glorify God? Do you know what it means to glorify God? Well, we, you know, well, to praise him, to acknowledge him, to give him, you know, to give him honor, to give, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the literal meaning comes from the word doxa. And the word doxa means that which turns the head or that which catches the eye. So, you know, when when you see something that stands out in brilliance, you, you turn, right? You know, the, the, uh, the, the fireworks go off and be, oh, look, shiny, right? Uh, the Bible says a woman's glory is her hair, right? And any, every teenage boy knows this, <laughs> right? Because the first thing you see from a distance is a head of hair. It's like, hey, we'll leave that for now, but... But a woman's doxa is her hair. It's the thing that catches the eye. It's things that causes you to, your head to turn and to look in that direction. All right? So when we're glorifying God, we're, the, the, the word is doxaso, doxaso. We're actually ascribe, we're giving him, making him, acknowledging him as the one who is worthy to catch our eye. 
And internally, what we're trying to do then is, Lord, I don't want anything about me to detract from people looking at you. So I want to divide between the things that cause eyes to look at me, and I want to lay them down so that the eyes will just look at you. And for that to happen, to that to be effective outward, it has to be happening inwardly. For you to do that and affect others with that ability to give glory to God, you in your heart have to be giving glory to God. So, oh glory, Father. You know, Jesus said it this way, he said, he said the spirit gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Now, right now, I, I feel like, like uh, I'm delving into a murky world uh, of, of trial and error, of, of competence and incompetence, of, of fear and trepidation, because one of the things that keeps us bound to the law is fear. Fear is what anchors us to this present age. Fear, fear of not looking good, fear of falling into disfavor, fear of not being acknowledged, fear of failure, fear that people won't like us. All of these fears cause us to be oriented around something that is not the Lord. And so we're asking God to displace and shift our heart's focus away from the flesh and onto the Lord. So let me read a couple of scriptures here, just to confuse you. Because what we don't want to do is when we're talking about this, and we start talking about grace, and we start talking about worship and everything, we don't want to fall into this idea that God is lowering the standard. You know, the message that God is lowering the standard is not really the message. I mean, God has made provision for you to not meet the standard. And that provision is the blood of Jesus. And there's endless amounts of mercy for you every time you don't meet the standard. And if your confidence, if you really believe that God's righteousness is available to you because when you don't meet the standard, then you're never embarrassed or ashamed when you don't meet the standard. Because there's always mercy. You know, that's a, that's a beautiful thing with kids, right? Kids, when they try to do something poorly and they do it poorly, they're not embarrassed. They're never embarrassed because there's something in their heart that is not afraid yet of looking bad. So anyway, let me read this scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 11. Actually, before I do that, let me say one more thing. Do you know that it's possible to live a perfect life? I'm not saying you're going to do it. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I know some people that are. <laughs> no, let me rephrase that. I know some people who think they are. <laughs> but, but when Jesus faced the kingdom of darkness, he always won. He always prevailed. Even the several times that they tried to kill him, he eluded them, right? He, he literally passed through their midst. They were blinded. People throw, about to throw him over the cliff, and somehow he makes his way through this massive crowd of 100 people trying to throw him over a cliff, right? It, it ha- it, it's supernatural. It happened again and again and again. So when he died, when he, he, this is what he said. He said, I, 
I lay my life down. I'm not dying because the enemy got the upper hand. I'm not dying because I went to the wrong place at the wrong time and the angels of the Lord were not there. I'm not dying because of a miscue. I am laying my life down because there's an immunity because whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And Jesus walked in such a way that not only did he change the world around him, but the world had no ability to suppress him or, or kill him or keep him from prevailing. That's our goal. We want to get to that place. So it's possible. But I don't think we're there yet. So let's talk about this standard. Because the first thing I want to say is we're not erasing the standard. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So I'm just, right, I'm just reading this to say there's a standard, right? There's a standard that, that God is using. And that standard applies to us today. The question is, how do we overcome this? How do we, how do we become different? Well, if you keep reading, and, and I'll, I'll try not to read all this. There's five more verses, and I'll just jump down. He talks in later on, 15 to 20, he talks about sin, and he's, but then he says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. This is where I want to begin to focus when you become born again, you become one spirit with him. Jesus said it's the spirit that gives life. Now, for some of you, this is going to be very foggy, very obscure, enigmatic, misty. But God is trying to change the foundation from which you do anything and everything. The Spirit can be the source of everything you do. And if it becomes the source of everything you do, you will not fail. If the catalyst that is your redeemed Spirit, that your Spirit joined to the Lord becomes the center, focal point of your life, that's when victory starts to really begin. The problem is, that's not the case. Worse yet, we don't know the difference. Because, we're, well, you know, I'm going to church now. I'm lifting my hands. I even gave tithes. Surely, this is enough for God. Well, it's not a question of being enough for God. It's always about you and what level of the resources of God you're going to enjoy. It's not about pleasing God by doing the right thing. It's about you coming to a place of victory by walking in the Spirit. So let me keep reading here. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he says, therefore, right, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does in his body or is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy 
spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So, safe to say, God still expects things from us. The question is not what, whether God expects you to be righteous, whether he expects you to do the right things or not. The question is, what source are you using to get that? That's the only real question. And the proof of the source is whether the world is being overcome or not. If you operate by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You won't. You won't fall into sin. You won't lust. You won't hate people. You won't, you won't do any of those things. So all of those things still in our life is the proof that we're still under the law. And you know what? And you know what? God's not upset about that. There's mercy for every time you stumble. But the point is, recognize that something was born of the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. No, no, no. I, I'm a good Christian. No, no, no. I, I, I meant well. I don't care. And neither does God. He just said, respond to the truth. I have, I'm giving you the ability to be different on a scale you cannot even imagine. But everybody's faltering and living in the mud, barely getting, you know, making it from Sunday to Sunday. And I'm hoping the blood of Jesus is going to be enough for me this Sunday because I had a particularly bad week. And the blood of Jesus will always be enough. But God's hope is that you're going to discover the nuclear source of life. That he's given you. That's what he wants to, you to discover. He, he's saying, listen, if you only knew what I put inside of you. Like, like, if he could sit down and talk to you and say, like, you know, you sinned last week and that's terrible and I forgive you. But do you know you didn't have to? Do you know that you have power that could blow that sin out of the water? Do you know that I've put inside of you? The very source of, of what drives me. My spirit joined with your spirit is inside of you. Like look at your life and ask yourself, am I letting it out? Because the last generation that really magnifies and glorifies his name lets it out. See, and this is the issue. To glorify God is to use the stuff he gave to do what he told us to do. What what pride is, is to use my stuff to do the things he told me to do. Because why? Our bent is, I want to distinguish myself. I want people to look at me and go, whoa. That guy's really filling the adjective. That's our impulse. That's, that's what's happening at the root of our being. That's what God's trying to shift. And we're going to get to it, but there's a real reason that that happens. There's a real reason that that's what's flowing from our lives. And God is saying, come on, guys, you can do this. There's a revelation. That's why Paul always prayed. You know what he prayed? He said, man, if I, I'm praying for the spirit of revelation to open your eyes that you could see the power already at work inside of you. That's his prayer for all the new believers. If only you could see what's inside of you, you'll stop doing it yourself. But your default is to do it yourself. 
And then somebody comes along and says there's still a standard. And say, oh, hey, I'll try harder. No, don't try harder. Well, yes, try harder. Only to discover that you can't. Right? Because if you're in that category of, if you think that trying harder is the answer, keep trying harder. Because eventually, and the words literally are in one of the songs, you're going to come to the end of yourself. You're going to, come, you're going to realize, I can't do this. And, buddy, it's so hard because every time I can't do this, I feel like a loser. So, very end of this verse, he says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your spirit. Both of them are purchased and owned by God. So, let me share some of my testimony. Uh, and you've heard parts of this before, but there's visitors, so I'm going to repeat it all. Uh, we grew up Catholic. I was a very bad Catholic. I, got, uh, I, I had the uh, dubious distinction of being able to meet the priest midweek, which is a rare, a rare event. But, you know, we on occasion were brought in there to get the big stick. And uh, so, you know... Uh, all this was happening. Then my mom got born again. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. She got delivered. She got, uh, she got f- f- uh, healed of cancer. I mean, great things started to happen. And uh, I thought, well, you know, uh, I believe, you know, I believe Jesus and all these miracles. So I, I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. But then I thought, now I have to be good. I, I thought this is what the, the standard requires. The standard says I got to be good. And as I've told you before, I had trouble being regular good. I mean, if you go back with me, I remember in grade two, in school, they always, teachers always moved me to the front of the row. In grade two, my teacher put my, tut, my, my desk so it's touching her desk. And then a week later, she moved around to the side so that I was always within reach. When I went out to the playground, the principal, if he was supervising that day, he would always look for me. And make me walk around holding his hand. I, you know, it's whatever it was we weren't allowed to do was so enticing. It's just like you, we weren't allowed to run around the front side of the school. We had to stay in the back side where it was paved. You're not allowed to go there because the street is on the other side. But we just, me and my friends, we thought, let's go. Yes. <laughs> I was always a willing volunteer. And so we tried to run by on these days that the principal was in his office, his window, but it was, it was a window that was, you know, floor to ceiling window. And we were going to walk, run by, not, trying not to be seen, like eight feet from the window, which is about 10 feet across. So floor to ceiling, you know, impossible. It doesn't happen. And we're always amazed that we could never get away with it. So when I... My mom became a Christian. I was told, you know, do this. I, I tried, but I was having a hard time being regular good. So I stopped trying because I thought, uh, this is not possible. I mean, and the, the sin that I was dealing with in my life was not insignificant. I mean, we had occult in our background. We had violence and rage and, 
In, in our background, we had, I had been sexually molested as a five-year-old, so there was stuff coming up in my life of an order that was extremely dark, and I had this inability to suppress any of these things, and I just felt constantly guilty, constantly frustrated, constantly like, There's, I, I just can't do this, and every time I go to church, I'm only reminded that I can't, and that's not fun. And so I thought, you know, maybe, maybe some other time later, and this was my warped thinking, maybe I'll find a really cute Christian girl and her beauty, mesmerizing eyes and locks of hair will, yeah, her doxa will draw me, give me the impulse, give me the urgency I need to do what God wants me to do. Yeah, yeah. Some of you already tried that. <laughs> it might work. Yeah, right? <laughs> it wasn't going to work, and God knew it wasn't going to work. Because, listen, listen, the enticements of the soul, the power of the soul. You know, it says in the scripture in John, it says, when it talks about our sonships, is born again, not of flesh or blood, nor of the will of the man, of man. Listen, the will of man. Many of you here, you you can make yourself do a lot of things. You know, some of us here have iron wills. The problem with that is your will becomes the foundation of your righteousness, not his spirit. And uh, appearance-wise, that looks great. People think, man, what a great Christian. But if it's all coming from you, it inhibits your ability to give glory to him because you're doing all the work. And you know you're doing all the work. And you can't escape the sense that, well, yeah, praise your name, Lord, and I'm sure sure you're glad to have me as your servant, not... So I thought, I, I can't do this. So I, I went back into the world, partying hard and doing all the things. And, uh, but I just, I just could not escape the traction pull of the glory of God. God's pulling on me. And in the summer of 1981, it just was reaching a climax. And I was coming to the apex of the end of myself because I'm feeling the pull of the call of God and all kinds of things, and yet I can't do this. I just can't do this. I've tried. I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to go and pretend I'm something I'm not. I, I can't do that. So I'm caught between these two worlds, the one that I want really to be a part of because God is saying, hey, what are you doing here? And literally, that's what happened. I'd be at parties, I'd be, and God was, I'd hear his voice and say, Mark, what are you doing here? Yeah, you know. <laughs> but on this one night, August, I can't remember which day, 1981, I'm sitting in the bar and the glory of God comes on me in the bar. And I have this life-changing experience such that the next morning I said to my mom, I'm going to Bible college. And she's like shocked. She's, I mean, out of her mind shocked because like, where did this come from? All I saw was a trajectory that was getting worse and worse. I was coming home more often, you know, either bloodied or drunk or smelling like whatever. 
And it wasn't getting any better. And she'd drive by the bar where my car was and she'd be praying for me. And, but the Lord visited me. But here's what happened in that moment. I saw something. I didn't understand it, but I saw something. When, when the glory came, every, every fiber of my being reverberated with the power of that glory. Everything inside of me rippled with this amazing glory. And I couldn't formulate what had happened, but here's what had happened. I saw that there was a power source outside of my own will. I, ha- I saw that there was a catalyst for doing righteousness that was greater than shame. That was greater than guilt. That was greater than ambition. You see... When you live out of your soul, there's a lot of impetus. There's a lot of energy to not do the wrong thing because you feel like a dirt bag. And when you get tired of feeling like a dirt bag, you make God to God all these vows. You know what the worst thing was to be possible is that you could fulfill those vows. Because if you do that, you are responsible for your, your own transformation. And if you, in your heart of hearts, have done the right things and sacrificed and suppressed what you really wanted to do. You see, the life of the Spirit doesn't suppress what you really wanted to do. It changes it. Let Let me just say that again. The life of the Spirit doesn't force you to do what you don't want to do. It changes what you want to do. What does it say about Jesus? He said, he said uh, it talks about the favor of God because you have loved righteousness. This Christianity is not you loving sin but choosing righteousness because you know it's bad. Christianity is getting to the place where you love righteousness. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's impossible. You can pretend to not love sin. Oh, I keep falling into sin. I really hate it. No. You love it. You're, you're hooked on pornography, not because you hate it, because you love it. You hate the guilt. You hate the shame. You hate feeling like an animal. But you are an animal. And what God is offering you is elevation. Transformation, resurrection. But if the catalyst continues to be shame, and ah, I shouldn't do this. What if my wife finds out? Oh, she'll find out. What God offers us is a another source of power. A whole other source of power. But here's the problem. So it's like, well, I, I want to tap into that. Right? Who, who doesn't want to tap into it? <laughs> Michael, Ben. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just change it up. You can't deny your own desires. You have to bring them to the cross. 
You have to live in the tension of this is what I love, but I don't want to. God, change me. Not God, let me do this in exchange. Right? If you do this in exchange, you're buying your own salvation. Well, that blood of Jesus thing is nice for others, but I'm going to do this myself. The result is, see, and this is, all, this is in all of our lives. It's there. The question is, in what percentage? Why is it important? Because when I say, glory to God, the bandwidth of my heart is divided. And even though I'm saying the correct words, the reality of what I'm saying is very different. And God does not hear your words. He hears the intention of your heart. And if, if when you're saying glory to God, you're literally saying glory to me, I disciplined myself, I had choices I didn't, I could have resented that guy, but I didn't. Here I am, Lord, look at me. Oh, I would never do that. We all do that. It's just in what degrees. Uh, So here's the thing. You've got two power sources inside of you. One produces righteousness by faith. The other doesn't. Which one am I unlocking? Here's the thing. The one you have most confidence in. If you have sin in your life that you keep doing and you can't get free of it, it's because you believe you can. And so you'll keep trying. Oh, after today, I'm going to stop crying. That actually doesn't help things. Because you not trying anymore to pretend to have faith, (laughs) it's not faith. You must actually keep failing until you get so desperate, something inside of you shifts. So that shift, that shift is not as easy as it looks like. It's not like, oh, I didn't used to go to church and now I'm going to church. It's not that easy. It's about your loves, what you actually value. I mean, the, the system around Jesus in his day was, was this personified. I mean, it was, it was this to the nth degree. It was people doing what was right and a whole culture worshiping them for doing it. And Jesus comes to them and says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you love the high places. You love the praises of men. What's your problem? You love the praises of men. You love being acknowledged. You love being praised. You love being, oh, sit in this better place because you're so great. It's hard not to like that. So Jesus is saying to them, you are, you are stuck. You are oriented around something because of what you love. I'm trying to show you that that's getting you nowhere. And everything, everything he said to the Pharisees was not to condemn them, but to show them that they're already condemned. And that this form of righteousness is going nowhere. 
And the question is for us, well, are we doing that also? And in what way am I doing that? Let me read a couple more scriptures quickly. Father, give us a spirit of revelation. Romans eight thirteen says, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Here's the thing. We as charismatic Pentecostals, whatever you want to call us here at this church, We focus on one major thing as a part of the discipleship. I want you to be spirit-led. But the problem is, because we've been around this for a long time, we have a list of characteristics of what spirit-led looks like. So we can skip the middle phase. We can go from being sinners to, okay, spirit-led people, they quote scripture a lot. Okay, quote scripture a lot. Spirit-led people, well, they worship you know, emphatically, unless they're Dutch. (laughs) Spirit-led people dance. Spirit-led people are loud. Spirit-led people are, so you can jump over this, and this becomes a form of godliness, not initiated by the life of the Spirit, but by the knowledge of the characteristics that are prevalent in this culture. So it actually becomes harder. Well, why am I doing it? Do I know that I'm doing it for the right reasons? Well, you can't figure that out. Only he can. What we can do is teach you how to grow your spirit. What what we're trying to do is to amplify your knowledge of where what is spirit and what is not. problem with that is you have to do something. You actually have to do something. So we have prayer meetings and we try to get people to pray. Why? Because you need to see whether you pray in the spirit or not. Oh, so, well, show me how to pray in the spirit. Okay, use these words, that theology end with emphasis and it's a kind of a crescendo at the end and in the name of Jesus. I could do that. No, you can't. You could replicate that, but you can't do it. You see, many of us would rather, ah, there's, no, there's no answers. Like, give me the list. Many of us are list people. Show me what it looks like at the end, and then I'll do that. But no, this is meant to be organic. Something comes out of your spirit and, it, and it, it grows from there and it becomes this natural organic impulse that occupies more and more of your life. Well, how do I do that? Well, pray in tongues, come and worship, but more than that, be an open book. Do it and ask people who you know are spirit-led, could you, I want to be accountable to you. 
Are my prayers becoming increasingly effective or less effective? I remember uh, somebody came to me one time and said, you know, we have these prayer meetings and it's so anointed in the room and the presence is great, but when I go to the mic, it feels like the room just kind of takes a dive. I said, yes. (laughs) Because it does. (laughs) Now, you can be either embarrassed by that and say, I will never pray again. Or you will say, okay, how, how do I do it right? Or you can be offended and say, no, I've been a Christian for 20 years already. Don't you tell me I don't know how to pray. My prayers are perfectly theologically consistent with the Bible. Yeah, but there's, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. That means the natural version of this has no value whatsoever. The release of the spirit. The release of the spirit. The release of the spirit. That's why I tell people to pray in tongues a lot. Why? Because praying in tongues you can't do in the natural. It's the only one thing you can do by the spirit and know that it's by the spirit. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't like those prayer meetings where we're just praying in tongues and, and people come up with things and I can't pray like that. I can't compete with that. Exactly. And I don't want to be seen to not be able to compete with that, so I'd rather just not do it. So, you know, you guys keep telling us to worship in spirit and truth, and I'll just do it sincerely in my mind. We're trying to produce a caliber of believer that brings forth what's born of the spirit that overcomes the world. So you're telling me you don't even want to do it in the safety of believers, but you believe you're living an impactful life that'll change the world out there? At some point, God is saying, I'm looking for volunteers for my army. I'm looking for people who want to be accountable. I'm looking for people who say, you know, come hell or high water, I'm going to pray authoritative, anointed kingdom prayers. I want to learn to do this. I want to learn to worship in spirit and truth. We can't keep opting out of the things that hold us accountable that reflect where we are in the journey, especially things that are motivated by fear, insecurity, shame, guilt, pride, Ambition. God is saying, come up higher. Oh, he's longing. He's, 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 he's cheerleading us. He loves it. I tell you, we have a guy here in the church who began coming a few years ago, and he started coming, and he comes regularly on Wednesday nights, and he never got up to pray. You know why? Because he's, he's not good at doing public things. But I've watched him take these tiny little steps and just responding to the presence of God and the Spirit of God. And if, you know, if you put what he did up against, you know, some of our senior leaders here, you think, wow, this is like, you know, low versus high. But I've watched him as he humbled himself. And, and authority is entering his prayers. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Why? Because he's great? No, because he simply had the humility to come in and begin to do it. So we have an opportunity. To become juggernauts for God. Or to sit back in the corners, in the shadows, deflecting, justifying. 
Well, you know, I really pray the most anointed prayers here, but I do it in silence. (laughs) Father, I pray today. God, this is an impossible shift. This is as impossible as being born again. To walk in more of the Spirit. it's, uh, it's, It's not something we can figure out mathematically. It's not even something we could figure out by comparing with others and by changing the intonation and the sound and the volume and the intensity of what we're doing. Father, there's something deeper that's going on. I pray, God, today that it'll become clear to us that there's something to be had, that it's already been made available to us, that we can have it if we just humble ourselves, if we start going low. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord, that out of community church, you would build an army. God, I pray, Lord, we long for an overcoming generation. Ah, I pray in Jesus' name. And let me just say one more thing. I watched this week a young man come back from a week of camp. And... uh, with an invigorated spiritual life. He's come here. I watched him dance with the flag during a Wednesday night prayer. I saw him, I mean, just worshiping God. Three weeks ago, he was not in the same place. He went away for a camp for a week, and he's he's just on a whole other level. And my heart is, God, how do we keep him there? We need to know that a difference can be had and that, that difference is visible. It is obvious to people who walk in the Spirit. So let me throw this out. I feel we're supposed to do more events as we go forward. More weekend events, more conferences, more things like that. But it's not for me to show off my friends. It's not for me to show off my gifts. It's to elevate you. But we have to make this a priority. Oh, I might come, and then you don't come, and you might make it Sunday morning. The reason why we do meetings that are seven days is because something is changing by being there for seven days. When we do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series of meetings, it, 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 the spirit life in what we're doing increases to a roar by Sunday morning. Unless you weren't a part of it Friday night, Saturday morning, in which case you come in and are just surprised. We want to do this. We want to make things available to bring us up to another level because our world needs the impact of spirit life. And we are God's vessels for that so just decide I'm not looking for a show of hands I'm looking for a heart dedication that says okay God I'm going to make this the preeminent thing that I'm pursuing I want to learn to be spirit filled I want to learn to walk in the spirit I want to learn to release you to be able to worship you in a way that you say oh I love that guy's worship Father we just We are your workmanship, created in you for good works. And so I pray, Lord, that we could tap into what you've made available. 
that God, it won't take us another 15 years to get what is right in front of our noses. But Father, that we could walk in it and see this province, this city, this nation changed. This is our prayer. Any final words, Chris? In a word that's come into my head over and over as he's been sharing is just the word pursue. You know, sometimes, you know, when you first come into the faith, you don't have all this Christian doctrine that comes with it. You don't have all the ways you're supposed to do church. You don't have all that stuff. And so coming into the faith as a 17-year-old, I didn't have any of that kind of stuff at all, right? So I didn't know what was right and wrong. And, you know, I remember going on a a retreat with some people, and one guy told a story, and I, I remember just saying, holy, and I said a swear word. You know, that's an amazing story. And I remember this guy looked at me and says, you can't say that. And literally in my mind, I thought, well, which word? I didn't know which word because, you know, in my house, certain words were normal, right? And so as a new believer, though, I realized something. I I had a foul mouth and I had certain things inside of me that I tried in my own effort time after time to uproot those things, but they didn't leave. But then the whole concept of pursuit, of when I just learned to... pursue my king, not on Sunday, every day of my journey, every moment, everywhere I went, I would include him. And I realized all of a sudden, a year later, that all of a sudden, certain things that were always attached to me just fell off on their own. And that's part of our journey. It's, I mean, in my own strength, it's just not going to happen. In your strength, you will not stop it. But it is the reminder that we need to pursue him more because it's not fallen off yet. Because when we pursue him and we're that close to him, it can't stay with you. It just can't come there. Right? It can't. So, Father, for each of us in this room, place inside of us a desire to pursue you at all costs. Whether it means putting our pride down, whether it means just choosing to be humble, whether it means changing our lifestyle. Whatever it is, God, show us in this moment what it is that we need to lay down. Because ultimately, the only thing that matters is you. The only thing matters to you is that not one would perish. That an entire church, an entire city, an entire nation, an entire world would be shifted and changed. That each one would run to you. And we're part of that equation. So God, today, right now, show us the things we need to lay down and place a desire in each of us this day to pursue you at all costs. Can we say amen to that? At all costs, we choose to pursue you, Lord. Bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.